Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm April Fallon. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to Adoption Now, your adoption show. I'm your host, April Fallon. Thank you to all of our listeners. I have to tell you this exciting news. In our first month back, we got over 15,000 downloads, which is a super high number and super exciting. And in the stats, you can find out where your audience is listening from. So obviously, United States, but also Canada, Australia, United Kingdom, Ireland, Belgium, Slovakia, Germany, Israel, and New Zealand. So if you are listening from another country, we want to say hello, and we're so happy to have you. It's so exciting to be connected to so many families and people who are involved in adoption all over the world. And it's a great honor to host such great guests who trust us with their stories and that their openness is really reaching people and really changing people on their journey. I actually have a little message somebody sent me. Now, we get these a lot, and I don't always read them, and I should. I should read them on the show. She says, I was just listening to your most recent podcast today and felt inspired to keep going on my adoption journey, even though it has been hard. Thank you so much for bringing the podcast back. I love that. I love your encouraging messages. You don't always have to tell your story, but if you just want to send us a message, we love that. Okay, today is exciting because guess who's in studio with me? Mary Fallon, my mom. Hi, mom. Hi. Uh, When you're around, it's like everything is silly. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. Our producer, Nikki's like, I think this might be a weird episode. (laughs) Can't get weirder than you and I together. So I'm so happy to see you healthy and well and doing amazing. I'm so happy to be healthy and well and amazing. (laughs) It's so wonderful to be here. It really is. And I just want to send a thank you out to everyone that prayed for me during this, the last several years. It was quite a struggle, but I'm back and it, and it feels great. So thank you. She's back. That's right. Thank you so much for those of you who haven't heard our journey in the last, what, two or three years? Uh, 2018. Um, my mom was diagnosed with esophageal cancer and we just went on a very long journey to her recovery and there were some very scary moments, but because of your prayers and because of your support and because of who my mom is, she's very strong. She came out and we just give God all the glory for all that. All the glory. Yes. Thank you, Lord. So today you're going to listen to this show. I am. You're excited. I'm happy to see you. And you know what I love about my mom is that she's with us. She stays with us during the winter and- it's like silliness all the time with the kids. We're always like singing and dancing. And Noah's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but they love it. And they're going to miss you when you go back in a little bit. But yeah. thanks for, for being with us and helping us. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for letting me stay. Okay. So today we have an adoptive mother from the Midwest, Aubrey Mueller. Welcome to the show. Hi. So nice to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Yeah. I'm thrilled. Aubrey and her husband, Eric, have two biological sons, and they always wanted to adopt. She is a listener of Adoption Now and wrote in her story. And what we liked about your story, Aubrey, is that you said you had a willingness to learn from adoptees and birth parents on their journeys. And you said their voices are such a gift, and I'm honored to listen. And I love that. I love that people are listening to the show to hear all the voices. So thank you so much for 
writing your story in and for coming on the show. Yeah, I'm so glad to be here and to share it. So let's talk about how you found Adoption Now. So I was maybe six months to a year into our journey and just looking for something to listen to to encourage me. I know you get that from a lot of people. So kind of the same story, just got on podcasts and typed in adoption and you were one of the top ones. And I just listened to, I think, a random one, one that sounded like in the description was somewhat about, you know, some something of our story that we could relate to. So in our case, we do not have infertility as part of our story. So finding one that was a little bit similar, I think I landed on one where someone had two biological kids already, listened to it, loved it, and just felt like I had so many times that I thought, oh my gosh, that, and yes, that. And then I just started all over. I went to the very beginning and I listened all the way through. Oh, we love that. So you know a lot about me and my kids. <laughs> Is it weird to talk to somebody that you've like heard their story on a podcast and then all of a sudden you're talking to them? Yeah, it's it's definitely dreamlike, if you will, you know, <laughs> kind of like out of body experience. It doesn't really feel real. But uh, so it's like you're another celebrity. of course. Oh, that's silly. <laughs> you're, you're sweet. But I'm I'm honored that you would be so inspired to then write your story in. And also, I love that you connected with stories where people had biological children. You know, it's not always people who have infertility struggles that go into adoption. Some people just feel like they're called to adopt. And you are one of those people. You had two sons. At what point did you think we're going to start the journey? It was about a year after our second son, and we had actually been talking about it. it. Adoption was always on our radar. It was something I spoke with my husband about before we were married, and he never said like, oh, I don't want to do that or anything. He was always on board, but it was very future um, forward, forward thinking for him. So he just, I think he thought that's forever away. We'll get there when we get there. We had both of our sons like very quickly in the sense that neither of them were planned, neither of them were... I'm, you know, we just got pregnant fast and that is part of our story. And we're extremely grateful for that. But there was a point after our second son, actually when I was pregnant with him, that I brought it up again. And I said, like, I don't want to just keep having biological kids if this is something we really want to pursue. And it's always been on my heart. And I know that you've been thinking about it and it, you know, you will bring home stories and things you hear and you say, that's kind of weird. It just seems to come up a lot, you know, like you can't get it out of your head, even if you try. And so we would just be in discussion of that had our second son. And I had been asking him just when he wanted to start. You know, I, I had this dream in my head that our kids would be all about two years apart because our sons are almost exactly like two the week, two years apart. And so I was like, oh, hopefully the next one won't be too far away. You know, maybe three, like two to three years apart and all these silly plans that we think we can make for our own story and our own life. Um, how foolish was I? But I was like, so we could start talking about it. And so he said he didn't feel like he was quite ready because he just wanted to make some space to kind of adjust. We were just moving into our first house, all sorts of things. And then one Christmas, and I don't remember if it was 2014 or 2015, I had a final present to open and I thought that I had opened all of my presents and he is a great gift giver. He's like, you know, gets you all the things you want and, and more. And I was like, well, what could this be? And it felt like a book. And I opened it and sure enough, it was like a complete, like successful guide to, you know, like everything you need to know about adopting for Christian families and stuff. So um, obviously it's pretty outdated now and all that. But at the time, it was just really, it was his way of saying, I'm ready to step into this. Mm. And that was huge for me. I was so excited <laughs> and just really cool to see the excitement on him. Like, 
this is what I feel we're supposed to do to grow our family. And we plan to do that. We only wanted one more child, but we said, if God, you know, leads us to having more then we're open to that. Of course, we're not going to close the door on him, but we will pursue this for one, one child to adopt. Did you cry when you got that book? What was your response? I don't think I cried. I'm very much a giant smile on my face with an open mouth, kind of like, you know, just in my mouth, just hung open. And I had my eyes were lit up and I, you know, my whole family was there because we, it was when we went later in the day to be with my parents and siblings and stuff. And so it was kind of like him telling everyone because everyone knew that that was something we had been talking about and they've been praying for, for us to just see if that was what we were, was going to be part of our story. We weren't trying to push it. We just, I couldn't get it out of my heart and my mind. And then, you know, incidentally how God works, he couldn't either. Um, and so that was really neat. I think I might have cried later in the day. I'm not a big crier, but um, until it's about adoption, then you throw up a, an adoption commercial or something. I've mm-hmm. done before, so <laughs> I'm sure you understand. I do. Well, I'm a crier too, so it could be like a dog. Okay. It could be anything. I would cry <laughs> if I got the book. I mean, I'm just like a very emotional yeah. person. But I love that he. I mean, that's a very, very thoughtful gift. Were your parents on board too? Yes, they were absolutely on board. Um, my dad is a pastor and so and my mom wanted to be a missionary but then she ended up you know getting married and having kids and it didn't it's like that wasn't the way that god led her but she ended up doing kind of missional work as a teacher you know but really um in areas where she could serve like english as a second language so they both just had a heart for like traveling and doing whatever god calls you to do that was very much their heart so the whole prospect of you know bringing someone into our family and loving on them was just exciting. Like they were like, yeah, absolutely. We're totally down for that. So they were supportive from the beginning, have been the whole way. And honestly, I don't know how we would have gotten through all the disappointments and all the celebrations without them. Couldn't imagine it. Did anyone say to you, why adopt? You can have children. (laughs) Um, I think I said that to myself more than anyone. (laughs) I think that I really guilted myself on that. And that was something that I battled a lot throughout our whole journey, especially as other couples who were waiting couldn't have kids. And I would, you know, that was part of their story on their profile. And I would question why God would lead us to that when we could have kids. And, um, but then I would always be brought back to something like anytime we would doubt ourselves, we would get something, some, you know, confirmation. And I know it sounds so silly to some people, but you know, if you're in the faith and you really are um, giving your life and your heart to God, he does show you things that indicate and point you to that. And we would get something like a letter, just like from a random person that we haven't talked to in ages about something that they had on their heart and they wanted to share with us. Or like as ridiculous as a check in the mail for, you know, we wrote this to you because we think that you need to use it towards your adoption. Like things like that. Um, Anytime we doubted, we got something like that. It was really wild. So Looking for the signs. Yeah, yeah. And I know that sounds so, you know, the science, but Well, no, it's there. not ridiculous because if you've heard our story when we were adopting Lily and it was so traumatic and birth dad said, "I'm I'm going to fight for rights and everything kind of blew up." We were like, "Oh my goodness, we're going home." And we were praying that mm-hmm. God would send us a sign if we were supposed to stay. And we looked up and a giant billboard said, "Open your heart to Lily." And we knew we were going to name her Lily. And so we were like, oh, my gosh, that's a true sign, like a real sign. And I do believe that when you pray and ask God, please direct our path, 
that he will give you clues, signs, people to kind of lead you on that journey. And it's very cool. He doesn't just leave you alone. And one of the things you and I talked about, we're going to get into your story, but one of the things that you and I talked about on the pre-interview is you and I didn't realize how many opinions people have. Like when you're talking about adoption, like how upsetting some of the things that we say or do mm-hmm. can be for some people. And that could be really upsetting that you can have children, but there's all these families who can't. And why are you adopting? It's very selfish. And all these things that go through your mind or people are saying, or how can you say, this is great? I mean, I get it on, on social media a lot. How can you say adoption is great? It's terrible. You're ripping apart families. You know, those types of things. You're like, oh my goodness, I didn't understand this world, this situation could be so upsetting. And so I can see where you were thinking that, but then the bottom line is you have to follow what God is telling you to do, no matter what anyone is saying. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's that wrestling between those two things, stepping into this world that I was so unfamiliar with. And he led us a direction we never, ever thought. Because you may think, okay, you can have um, biological kids. So a lot of times people step into international adoption when they can have bio kids because they're, they're looking to adopt from, you know, whether the system is corrupt or however the kids get there, they are in an orphanage for some reason or another. And so you're bringing home a child in an orphanage, oftentimes some level of special needs that hopefully can be dealt with much more easily in the state. But um, to walk into domestic infant adoption, which is, and we'll get into, but like that was not at all our plan. And then you're surrounded by people who are in that because they want a healthy baby because they couldn't have a healthy baby. And so that was interesting to be like, God, is this where you want us? And questioning that the entire time. because We're like, we thought we were like going to hop on a plane and, and fly across the world. What are, what are we doing? <laughs> mm-hmm. What led you to yeah. private infant adoption? Well, it was more that we had every door closed on us that we tried to open on our own. And, and then that was the only one left. That was like our last option we had written down. And of course there's things you'll never necessarily even consider. They might not feel like a good fit for you. Like, you know, um, pursuing foster care because you, you understand that the mission and the, the, the goal is to reunify or, um, special needs adoption. I, I actually read, I remember reading a line, I think it was from the book my husband gave me, and it was something about how like every special needs child deserves a, a home. They deserve a parent or parents, but that doesn't mean you have to be that parent. Like, cause I really struggle with that. Like, God, why do I feel like I'm so scared of special needs adoption? Um, and so that I remember we prayed through that and just really considered it. And we were like, okay, of course God will guide us that, that way if he wants us to go there. But all those things like aside, we wrote a big list of all the countries that we just for some reason, we just started brainstorming all the countries we would love to adopt from based on what we could research on Google. You know, we would type things in and see, okay, that country doesn't have a program from, they won't allow Americans to adopt. So that, you know, nix that, but then we had all this list. And so then we used that list to reach out to agencies that had programs for that country. And little by little, it was like, either we would have to adopt an age of a child where it would be out of birth order. And at the time that we started this, our kids were um, five and no, four and two. So at the time that we were really focused on birth order and they would say, well, it probably will take like two years. However, these kids are like six to eight. So we were like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, that could still be, and that just didn't feel like something we were willing to budge. And it didn't really feel like, one way or another with that, you know, a conviction or anything. It just felt like that's what worked for us. And then we met with all these agencies um, 
very, I mean, maybe 10 of them over the course of 18 months to two years. Wow. And they would, yeah. And we never really pushed like the timeline or anything. Like we must hurry, but it was just kind of like, okay, let's meet with this agency like this month and then we'll see. And, you know, and then you're kind of exchanging like application stuff and email stuff. And so things take a while. It's not like you can, some people do it, you know, almost as if it's their job, but we just took our time as we had time and met with people and they would share with us these things. And either we would feel some sort of, you know, lack of peace or um, just a red flag, if you will. And we would say, okay, that one doesn't feel like it's going to be a good fit. But the biggest reason was because we were not old enough. And so how old are we, you? Uh, had, well, at the time we were 25, 24, 25 range, you know, over that time we, it, we grew up a little bit, but yeah. So we were like mid twenties, low to mid twenties when we started. So we were not old enough. And so most of the countries we had to mix and they actually said, I'll never forget talking to one of our final ones. And they were like, well, you could do all the paperwork now when you, when you turn 28, you can do all the paperwork. And then when you're 29, we can start to like submit it. And then when you're 30, we can get you on the list. And we just never felt like we were told to wait, but I don't know. It's really hard when you're like, you know, Typically, God's not going to audibly talk to you, but also, why did he lead us here at this time? Or so it feels. And so we just eliminated all those options, and we really were just staring down infant domestic, and we thought, we felt stuck there, but we didn't want to just do it because we were like, oh, it's the last one, you know. Um, But we actually got a friend who had attended, they attended our church for a while. I think they were military, and we live near a base where we are in Ohio. And so people were in and out often, like every few years, and they knew that we were pursuing adoption. A lot of people were praying for us and thinking of us and just knowing that we were thinking through the options and that it was taking us forever <laughs> to decide on something. And I'll never forget getting a check in the mail from this person for the cost of an agency that was local. Um, and they had adopted through that agency. And they said, this is the cost of the application fee. We just think you should apply. <laughs> They're like, just do something. Here's the money. <laughs> Isn't it so sad? My, my, my intense lack of faith that God's like, my goodness, I just have to send you a check of that exact Here's amount. Here's the money. <laughs> so great. We were very grateful for that. And that's exactly what we did. We were like, what are we supposed to do with this outside of what he's asking us to do? He's like, my wife and I prayed and we feel like this is what we were supposed to do is send you a check for this exact amount so that you can just go forward with this option. And Aww. if it doesn't feel right, we think God will close the door, you know? Sure enough, that's how it started. And they're like, and then at that point, we want our money back, please. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Probably two years later, they were like, uh, is anything going to happen? Oh, Clearly, my goodness. Yeah. I know. Tell us about your first match. Yeah. So we pursued domestic infant adoption in 2017, home study approved 2017. Um, we got our first call in the spring of 2018. And we were on vacation, of course. And we were of course. with... You know, I say that all the time. Do you want to adopt? Uh Go on a vacation. Exactly. And I cannot tell you that enough. Hearing your podcast, I used to hear that and kind of chuckle and think, oh, but you you feel a little anxious about leaving. No, everyone listening, please plan your next trip if you don't have one in the books because you need to have a trip. We ended up doing that throughout the whole thing. And that was our saving grace for sure. Um, So we had gone on vacation and we were staying with my husband's grandparents. So we ended up putting the kids down to bed and just we got a call that there was a, an expectant mom or she actually had had her baby and she wanted to sign her rights. Um, and they, she had chosen like three families or something and we were one of them. And so 
they just wanted to know if we were willing to like move forward. Um, I'm trying to think if that was it or if it was that they had chosen like three families that they felt were a good fit because it was, it was kind of a unique situation with um, drugs and things like that. And so they wanted to know if we were willing to let her see it or to move forward. If that was, I don't remember exactly, but we said, how long do we have to decide? And they were like, "Mm, like an hour. And so we put the kids to bed and then we just walked around like the area in their condo facility, like the wetlands and just walked and walked and prayed. And we just felt so anxious about it because, of the fact that they couldn't get the information right. Like they called us one time and then 15 minutes later called us again and said, okay, well now we found out that this was when the baby was actually born and we told you that these drugs were it, but now they're these. And um, we weren't like chosen, you know, in the sense that it was like, she really, really wants us. So we said no. And that was really hard. But as soon as we said it, we felt a lot of peace. Like we just felt really good about it. But honestly, I questioned that phone call a heck of a lot after that because we didn't hear from the agency again other than your your logistical things for over a year oh they punished you we've talked about this on the <laughs> other I, shows I too that. sometimes mm-hmm. if you say no they put you down to the end of the list and that's a real thing i'm not saying that yours did that but it, it can happen so right. be very careful when you say no uh you know you might not get picked anyways but i know that right. sometimes when they say <laughs> families have said no they they kind of push you down to the Right. And I don't know if that's the case or not, but it totally could be. And I, and honestly, my advice to anyone now would be, and I, and I started saying that two years in was say yes to everything and, and your door will be shut. The door will be shut if that's not your baby, you know, or if that's not a situation that you're supposed to be involved in. I don't think it's going to happen. You know, it's not, you're not going to look back and say, oh, I really regret that. So um, I did really question if we were supposed to do that, but we felt like just little things that we were trying to lean into because we were like, we don't have time to think through this a lot. We really just have to give a quick answer. So we just said we didn't really feel comfortable, but like, of course we, I think we said with every phone call or every situation that we would get that we're more like that level, not someone chose us that we would say like, if, um, you know, she doesn't choose any of the other ones, like maybe give us a call back. So there's obviously a point where she chose like whatever they provided because they were like, okay, we'll let you know. And, there was a little comfort in the fact that we were, I mean, not to say that they didn't take our books to future expectant moms, but we were on like the online page the whole time and stuff. So anybody can go to their website and view the waiting families and we were on there. Um, And as time goes and people get chosen, they get taken off the list. And if you're, you've been waiting a while, you slowly get bumped up because you, they just add people like in the order that they come onto the agency. So we would be at the bottom. Well, by the end of our whole wait, we were at the complete top and we sat there for a while. And there was always anywhere from 35 to like 45 waiting families at a time. So watching your face at the top for months and months, (laughs) it's pretty agonizing. But um, yeah, we got got another call in 20. Well, no, we got an email in 2019 about they sent it out to like, I think they shared with us. We were sending this to like three or five families, like just several of you that we feel might be a good fit. And um, you have an hour to email back if you want us to present your book to this mom. And so it was a mom with two daughters. There was one, it was a year old and a two year old and she wanted to place them. And um, we missed it because I was on a work trip and I was getting on a plane and my husband missed it too. So by the time the hour was up, we saw it like maybe two hours after. So it was wild, like just those things. And we were like, wow, we couldn't even say yes. Cause as soon as we saw it and they listed some issues and stuff, but we felt like at that time 
maybe we should start saying yes to everything because we shouldn't be afraid or we shouldn't try to decide what God wants us to do. Um, if that door's open, that's open. And then he'll, he'll let you know before it, oh, it's all said and done. Right. So, you know, that's how that one went down and we missed it. And that was um, at that point, you know, two years in from when we signed on. So then we had to renew our home study at that point. And that was kind of a deciding, like a decision point where we were debating, do we stop? Do we keep going? We're like, no, we, we weren't told to stop. So let's just see what happens. So we updated our profile book because in that time, I spent a lot of time researching. Um, the agency didn't have a whole lot of education, but it also did require that you pursue open adoption. Like you weren't allowed to sign on with the agency unless you were completely willing to have an open adoption. And I really wanted to understand that more because when I first looked into international, I mean, I think just with how naive I was and with the narrative that a lot of us hear is you kind of want that, want that baby to yourself and you're afraid to open your home and your heart to other, you know, to other families, to other things and to other situations that just aren't, that don't look like your own. So you think whether or not you admit it, the idea of going across the world and getting a baby and coming home with them, there's a security in that. And pursuing an open adoption with an agency that, although they didn't provide loads of um, education to us, they did require that you be okay with that. And I wanted to understand like really what that's all about. And so we spent our wait time and we are so grateful for our wait time because in hindsight, of course, it's very painful when you're in it. But in hindsight, we really use that to just educate ourselves as much as possible to follow all the accounts and like that aren't people like yourself. They don't look like you. They don't have the same backstory as you. And they're not in the same, um, you know, we're a hopeful adoptive parent at this point. We're not an adoptive parent, but in the adoption constellation, we are not in the same position as them. So birth parents, adoptees, just grabbed every book I could get my hands on at the library that that had to do with adoption. And then if I found out that it was written by an adoptee, ooh, better, I'm going to get it. So that was really helpful for us and really opened my eyes to a lot and also made us question a lot as we move forward, but we stayed in it. So, well, that's interesting because you were scammed, right? We were, and that's, yep, that's coming up. That's very exciting. (laughs) But I think that that's interesting because here you are trying to learn more about how to love a birth parent. And then you get into a situation where the birth parent is taking advantage of you. Right. So you're like trying so hard to be like, okay, I've changed. I'm more open now. And then you're partnered with somebody who is manipulating you and scamming you. I mean, that's kind of, that's hard. Well, she actually wasn't the one scam that we had. She wasn't actually pregnant. So that was just all sorts of that, that lady needs help. (laughs) Like, and, and actually she's, um, was on Dr. Phil and all sorts of things. So it was someone who, and I'm going to say the name because if anyone sees hit, it sees her, they can look her up and it's Gabby and she's notorious for scamming people through um, like emotional scamming. So she just wants attention and you've shared this in, you know, other podcasts that people may catch those here and there. Uh, but yeah, just trying to get us to talk to her all the time. Um, and she wasn't actually pregnant. We did have another match where she was, you know, we were matched through the agency Well, she chose us from the agency. And so that's the next part of our story. January 2020, we were on a trip again um, and we got home. And then I think it was like the day we got home that I got a call from the agency director. And I thought, you know, the last last thing we heard from them was an email. You know, it was like, do you want to be included in this? So we actually hadn't gotten a call from them for two years. 
for a situation. Oh my gosh. So we get a call and I know, and she's like, there's an expectant mom and she wants to meet you. And she, well, she chose you, but she wants to meet you. And we're just like, oh my gosh, when? And she's like, next week, I'm going to meet you. You know, I'll, I'll pick her up and I'll take your, where do you guys want to meet and all that. So she just kind of texts us info. Okay, now we're meeting this day. We're meeting at this place. Um, so we drive two and a half hours south of us to meet in the town that she's in. And um, at the time she's in treatment for addiction. And we met with her at a Mexican restaurant and we spent hours just talking to her. And you could tell she was very very nervous and very in love with this baby that, you know, her unborn child, she was madly in love with this little girl. Um, and that, that was very eye opening for me. Like just kept thinking how badly I wanted the baby, you know, because like, that's what we're in this for. Right. We can't deny that, but also how pained she was and that she wanted to parent. And, but she kept saying, I can't like, it is not, it's not an option for me. In the position I'm in with my life, my situation, I have a child already, I'm not going to be able to parent her. And, you know, no matter if we said like, okay, like, we just want to make sure you feel sure and all that stuff. And the agency director's there the whole time kind of facilitating the conversation. Um, but we just, she had lots of questions for us about parenting styles and stuff like that. And I know you've talked about that too, is people, you know, just be honest because you don't know what answer she's looking for. So I think she she asked us what we were going to name the baby, and we said a name that started with an N, and she wanted a name that started with an N because her son had a name that started with an N, and that mm. is what we had always chosen. And wow. little did we know that name would never be used, and we would have a completely different name, which is so beautiful, and I'm so grateful because I couldn't imagine her being anything else. But yeah, so that was... Um, February 2020. And then a week later, we actually drove her home. The agency director was just like, oh, she lives like this far away. Do you want to drive her home? I'm going to leave. And so we like stayed and talked for another hour or something without her. And then we drove her home to her, to where she was living at the time. And she just said in the car, like, you guys are it. And we were like, okay, this is really happening. And so she was due four weeks later. Um, but I got a call when I was walking my son's to school. We live like a quarter mile from the school. And they, I, it was a voicemail. Like I had, I don't know how I missed it. Cause I feel like that's something you're so on top of when you're waiting, right? Like your phone is always by mm-hmm. you. All I saw was that I had a voicemail. So I don't know if her connection was bad in the hospital or what, but it was like, uh, she was, I mean, I'll never forget the sound of it. I think at this point I've deleted it, but just the tear filled, like shaky voice of her just saying, Aubrey, she's here and I need you here now, you know? And it was like an hour later. So, of course, I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, what the heck? How did I miss this? And they call my husband and we get on the road and we're there and they take us right to the room. She's so excited to see us. She has no one else there for support at the time. Um, And my husband was the first to hold baby girl. And she was beautiful, just full head of hair. Never forget her. Never forget those pictures. Those are things I will not delete. So, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but they're pictures that we do cherish. Um, we just have a few. And he fell in love immediately. You know, that was something he always wondered. Like, he didn't hesitate moving into the process because of it, but he always wondered, how am I going to love that baby to the full extent that I love our sons? Like, I just can't imagine it. Is, is that going to be different? Like, he just questioned, could it? could it be different? I don't know. And I'm a little scared. I think he felt scared of the bonding. Like when you watch your wife have a baby and it's, you know, and it's handed you, that's like to him, that's all he knew. So 
having another woman, a relative stranger, hand him her child. I'll never forget the look on his face. I mean, he was absolutely passionately in love. And that for me, I think was the most painful part was, um, cause that's part of our story coming up everyone. So, um, yeah, brace yourself. all through, right. Brace yourself. So we, then I got to hold her and we just spoke to the mom for a while. And she, she was definitely like, I'm just so sad, but you guys look so great with her and all this stuff. And really just got into more of like how her life is just so hard. I, I'll never forget her just sharing. It was the emotion of having a baby just being in that moment and just being like, my life is extremely messed up and I don't want her in it. And then just sharing with us, you know, the nitty gritty details of th- stuff that she's endured. And that broke me. I hated hearing that. And um, we were grateful to be able to stay nearby. The hospital was like, oh, we're going to give you a room. Um, sometimes there are people who like, you know, some adoptive parents who come in here and this happens every so often, like we've all all of us nurses have dealt with this before. So they led us to the room and then we got to bring baby back and we spent the whole day there. And um, then they said, mom wants to spend some time with her and they took her and they said, this is a good time to like go get lunch or whatever. And this was from the nurses. So they knew nothing. They were like, you know, go grab lunch or something. So we went to the cafeteria. We brought in our suitcases. Like we just had little like overnight bags and we went back up to the room and they were like, we're going to bring her back in soon. And then I'll never forget them coming in and saying, you know, um, okay, you see, we don't have baby with us. And they were like, mom's having second thoughts. And after that point, all I saw was hands moving and my husband talking, but I just heard ringing in my ears. Like I heard absolutely no voices at all. I just thought, God, you brought us really far. Like we felt like this was going to be it because certain things in the conversation with the expectant mom were just very, it just felt so right, you know? And I know that that sometimes you feel that way or you say that, but like the things she would say would be like, how would she know that? Or that just seems like a really, really weird connection, you know, incredible things. And I can't remember them all now, but just one after the other, that it just felt really, um, you know, you in the time and in the moment, you think that that was God's plan, but who knows what God's plan is until he tells you what it is. So Mm -hmm. she, um, you know, we didn't get to say goodbye. Obviously that wasn't, part of the deal. That wasn't what we were expected to do. I remember my husband just picking up our bags and kind of pushing me out the door. Um, and I was like, is that, is that really it? Like she, they just said she was having second thoughts, you know, that's not like go away. Um, like what if she changes her mind? Shouldn't we be here? You know, I'm questioning all these things at this point in the car and the agency director calls us and she said, no guys, you, you have to, you have to go home. And I remember telling my husband, maybe we should get a hotel nearby, like just be nearby because she was all the things she was just telling us were, I need you guys. I need you to do this. And um, her mom had actually arrived and her mom knew, and they actually really pushed her to place. And I think her mom meeting her granddaughter affected her understandably. Could mm-hmm. you even imagine? So um, that was part of it, I think. And oh, we get in the car and we just, he said, we're going to go home, but we just spent a couple, we ended up just breaking down in the car and, staring at some, this, this town was not great. Like everything was very run down and I, just staring at some dilapidated building and bawling our eyes out and then picking up the phone and calling, you know, parents, sister, whatever. And I'll never forget each one of, especially the women, you know, my dad's pretty emotional too, but just each of them breaking down um, one by one, they were really heartbroken. And when we, um, we stopped for ice cream, <laughs> I thought that would make me feel better. And it was disgusting. Like Aww. I hated everybody. I was like, could hardly swallow it. <laughs> 
And then we get home and my parents were there because they had been watching our kids. So I think they brought them back from their house and they sent them up with, you know, iPads or whatever. And at this point, the kids are, um, I guess five and seven. Yeah. Five and seven. And so they're, they, they, I get there and I walk in and it was, nothing was better than just having your parents arms to hold you. Like I crumpled into a ball in my mom's lap and she just held me for hours and they got us food and people from church got us stuff that they like, they would tell their clothes, you know, it wasn't like a blast information, but my parents were able to, you know, text or whoever people that were very close to them. And so within that time, we just really got taken care of and loved on and then um, enter the pandemic. So we were at this point, just kind of grieving that and then trying to, we were wondering if we just keep moving forward or, you know, this was really hard. Maybe this wasn't what we were supposed to do. Maybe God just wanted us to like, almost not to waste our time, but to give us another focus until we turned 30. Like all these thoughts that you have of you trying to figure out his plan, you know? And um, then we found out March, I think it was March 13th, because that was like the day of the shutdown. We found out that I was pregnant unexpectedly. And so we were like, oh, well, this is quite the, (laughs) quite the plot twist, God. And so, um, (laughs) so we were pregnant and we were, you know, celebrating that, but also, you know, still grieving. And then the pandemic, they shut down everything. So we're like, okay, well, you know, no better time to be pregnant, I guess, and be home all together. And I hate that this is happening, but at least there's like a silver lining that we can grieve and that we can kind of just try to get a handle on the fact that this is not going how we expected it to. Right. And you're excited because now you're pregnant. So there will be a baby in your mind, you know? Right. Right. Absolutely. But then we're questioning, do we pursue adoption after that? Because we didn't want four kids, you know, or maybe. (laughs) So yeah, definitely weird. It's really hard when the birth mother tells you all the reasons that she wants you to take the baby, the abuse that she endured or the bad situation that she's in or that she, for us, doesn't, our birth mother told us she didn't love girls and all the things. And you're like, yes. And then when they choose to parent, it's very bittersweet because yes, we want you to parent. We, you have that choice. It's your baby, but you just told us a lot of really bad information. Is that baby going to be okay? You know, so you're worried about the baby too, because she told you all the things. So that's really hard when you get really close to the birth mother and you know, so many things and there's so many emotions going on with the loss, but also the worry that you have for the child as well. And I'm sure it all worked right. out in, in this case, but I do know what it's like to just go through that. And to be honest, how do we know? You know what I mean? And it's not it's like, that's the thing. We will forever think about her and wonder if she's safe and if she's okay. And that's just inevitable. It's not that we're saying her life would have been better. Of course not. We don't know. Um, it's not better. It's just different one way or the other. Right. But in that case with what she shared, like you said, it was very, that, that definitely fueled our prayers about her moving forward because we could pray for her specifically, but we could also pray, you know, and her success as a mom, but we could also pray for her daughter because we knew what kind of situation she was going into. And unless it was going to drastically, drastically change for one reason or another, it wasn't going to be a safe place. Um, unless, you know, maybe her parents stepped in and really did the primary care, but that was, and that's, you know, that's what they did for her son. So maybe that's going to be the case again. And absolutely like siblings being together, you know, huge, that's great. But I, I do, you know, it's hard to think about just, even if that is the ideal, 
she's still watching her mom struggle. And that, you know, that breaks you. That sucks. And that's the bottom. That's the reality of it. And I think it's a conversation, right? We're not Mm -hmm. saying that you landed there, but you felt all these emotions and just letting people know if they're going through that, not to feel bad or feel guilty. It's very normal to go through regret or sadness or confusion. I mean, all those things are a part of that when a situation like this happens. I want to say one other Mm -hmm. thing going all the way back to Gabby, to the scam. I have been seriously thinking about these women who are scamming these adoptive parents, but they're not getting any money. It's like so perplexing Mm -hmm. to me because why, why? And I was listening to someone speak on it and they said that attention is also currency and Mm. they get paid when you give them your time. So on the flip side, it's also our currency too, right? We can give money to a, a birth parent, but you give time and that's currency as well, especially when you have other children, Right. So we think of the bottom line as money. We lost a bunch of money, but be very careful of your time because it is a way that you pay out and it is a way that other people pay. And that's what they want. That is their currency. Mm -hmm. And so they will take from you as much as they can. And at the end of the day, you've now given yourself out and you're just completely exhausted. So I just want to say that. You've exhausted your resources and they're not. And it's not just money, you know. It could be your time. You're waking up in the middle of the night and all the things that we've talked about. So just going to those two situations, I'm so glad that you're telling the story in such an honest and real way that you're really honest about what you're going through and all the things that you were processing, right? It's it's scary to do that sometimes, but you're doing a great job. Okay, so you're pregnant. So I'm pregnant and we started grief counseling just to, and just to navigate all the things. And um, so have a safe space at home, all that stuff. And- then the next month we go in for an ultrasound and there's no heartbeat. So uh, we lose that baby. Um, but it was actually another like three or four weeks before I actually lost the baby. So that was like, it was like my body was still acting pregnant and like slowly winded down to not being pregnant. And then I miscarried on the weekend of Mother's Day. Oh, I no. needless to say, I didn't want to see anyone that <laughs> that year. I was absolutely so upset that we had just had, you know, a failed match and now a miscarriage. And it was just really confusing when you were like, God, I told you I would, you know, do this. And I didn't expect it. But of course, we're always trying to brace ourselves for the pain, right? We're like, why does there have to be a contingency that I wasn't willing to endure pain, you know, but it it was really hard. And then it, it just made me realize what people go through who are struggling to get pregnant. And that was so eye opening. All these people just came flooding in my mind people who we knew closely who, and not to say that they never will, but like those, the ones that I could think of, they never pursued adoption. They never were interested in that. They weren't, they worked really hard to build a family. Some of them did end up achieving that. Many did not. And um, just so many miscarriages and things. And I was just, all I could think about was them while I was dealing with it. When it was actually physically happening, I thought this sucks. And they've done this several times. Like, and so I would just try my best to, you know, th- pray for them what, during it because I was like, this is really agonizing. And I just don't understand how people do this, you know. And so we, we definitely didn't have, we were, this kind of solidified the fact that I did not want to have another baby biologically. This, this process was just really grueling to me. And we actually questioned, we were like, which one's more grueling? 
adoption, like waiting <laughs> to adopt or miscarriage. They're both just so horrible. And that's really the bottom line is growing your family isn't easy. It's tough work and you fight hard to make it happen. And so we were in that, we were seeing it from all angles. God was like, hey, I'm just going to make you be a little bit aware of all the things you've ever heard that, <laughs> that are people's fight to grow family. So we ended up getting matched with another mom um, like, on, like on Mother's Day or that week. And um, she spoke with us a lot. We talked on the phone and she was very excited for us to parent, but we didn't get to meet in person because of her unique situation. She shared with us that she was in a very dangerous situation with um, the bio dad. And so we were just trying to honor that space. And she honestly said, I don't know if in the end I'll be able to even reach out to you guys. Like, I don't know how this is going to work, like the logistics of it. So the agency was trying to work alongside her. Um, she was giving false information to him to keep her safe. And um, in the end, when her due date came around, she did not reach out. And then, you know, we waited and waited and the agency called us and said, yeah, we thought we might hear from her, but we haven't. We kind of both just checked in with each other. Like the agency called us, did you hear from her? No. And they were like, we're so sorry. This just happened sometimes. She might've, you know, she might've decided she wanted to parent, but honestly, she might've just been in danger and there's nothing we can do, obviously. So um, were you losing money and all this? No, the agency actually, there was a point where we were told when we were matched with our first, the first mom, that we were supposed to provide some like um, spending money. And then she actually just felt like the agency director felt a little uncertain with how much she was devastated about not parenting her daughter or the the prospect of it that she didn't take, wouldn't let us pay for the check, like wouldn't send the check. Okay. So it was really, I mean, it's, that was really amazing. And that's so, we're so fortunate. So we actually didn't lose any substantial like finances at any point for any situation. Okay. So we didn't lose, we didn't have to send any money for that other situation. Cause she's like, you're not actively meeting with her or going to appointments. Like it just isn't, we're just not there yet to see that she's really invested. Like, and that's okay, but we're just going to kind of see where this goes. And so, and you met with her mother's day, the day that you also miscarried. It was, so I miscarried that weekend, like two days before. And then she started calling us, oh my and texting gosh. us that like on mother's day. Yeah like the next day and the day after. So she, it was all through phone call. There was never a point where we got to meet her because she felt it was unsafe for everyone involved. And this is 2020. So now we get the scam situation at the end of July. It was like a couple weeks after this other mom was due. And then um, this lady is telling us she chose us, you know, fake ultrasounds, all sorts of things, but she's stealing them from someone's Facebook page. We ended up realizing and finding Um, so she was just taking them all from a girl who was pregnant, who really was keeping her child. She was going to parent her child and she stole all that information from them. So I actually, it was about 24 hours of nonstop phone calls, emotional investment that I, we were laying in bed and we were like, this just feels so weird. And so I just typed in and I had never heard of any like emotional stories like this. I've heard of people who they changed, you know, they didn't intend a place, but they just wanted to have some stuff covered for them financially. So in this case, she just wanted our attention. And I ended up typing in the name of the connection that she had said, oh, this friend sent me your information because you're looking to adopt. Because we had put it on like social media and made like a video and all sorts of stuff over the last year. We had done that to just kind of self-promote on top of because you can self-match and go through your agency. And so she, she said, I typed in the name of like the friend and then I typed in like adoption and then typed in scam. And it all came up, like every detail, every person that she said she was, every person that she used in her examples, um, all the tactics, 
It was everything. So it was only 24 hours for us, which was amazing because I know people endure that for like four months. So we were able to very quickly say, hi, we know this is fake, you know, and then she went, she got real nasty with us, cussing us out, you know, also, and we just blocked her and whatever, you know, we never said anything again. We were just like, I know this isn't real. Bye. Um, and then you saw her on Dr. Phil and you were like, Ugh. and then I saw, yes. And then my <laughs> sister sent me a Dr. Phil thing <laughs> that she was on. It said, this is the lady that did this to you. And yeah. And that was years prior. So the fact that they were trying to um, just really like, spotlight that this is happening and alert people of it and still she's she actively doing, doing it because they couldn't charge her with anything it's unless it was mo- monetary they're unable to charge her with but you would think there'd be some sort of emotional distress thing that they could charge but they were not allowed so she never got charged and she just hasn't been there's nothing they can do um her i'll never forget reading an article that her siblings came out with and they said she just has this really sick mental illness and we have like basically detached ourselves from her and we hate that she, we begged her to stop doing this and she won't. She'll just pretend like she's someone new every, every day. Did you ever get a baby? (sighs) We sure did. (laughs) In October, October 2nd of 2020, I am settling down to um, do remote school with my sons and we crawl into bed. I'm like, let's do school in bed. And as soon as we get started, I get a phone call from the agency director and she said, two day old baby girl, you need to get in the car and start driving because they've already signed paperwork and they're just waiting to meet you. So we drove to um, not even an hour away to towards Cincinnati, Ohio. And we walked in, we met the most amazing couple. Uh, we got to go to their room. Baby wasn't in there. They said she's in the um, cell, like the special care unit because she was born a little early. And this is another wild thing of all the stories you've shared that, she didn't know she was pregnant until she was in labor. And so that was part of our story, which was wow. wild. And we, I know. So she, they spent two days with her, loved on her, talked about their options, and they signed paperwork and then spent another day with her. Um, and then they just said, we wanted to meet you guys. And they, they, they told the agency director, we just want to meet them real quick, like five minutes. We talked for you know almost an hour. They were so fun. They are so fun. And, um, they said, go meet your daughter. She's upstairs. So the staff took us upstairs. They said, bye. They're like, we'll see you guys. And they left and we went upstairs and she was just the most perfect little, little girl. Absolutely amazing. Same size as the first baby we had in our arms. Um, totally different. She looked totally different. Um, actually had like the same hair color as my husband, which is weird. It's like reddish and me and both bio parents have dark brown hair. So that's really cool. She still has reddish hair. Ah, what's and her name? Just, her name is Emma. Ah. And uh, birth mom and dad named her. And they told us the name and they said, you know, they didn't even share that that was important to them. The agency director said when we were driving down, they named her. You guys obviously are allowed to change that at finalization. And we were like, no, 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 no. That's her name. You know, we really want to honor them. If that's important to them, it's important to us. If we're going to have a relationship with them, we want to be able to call, we want them to call her the name that they gave her, or that's going to show them that, you know, I just didn't want them to feel like we were trying to make things our own, you know, and beyond the fact that we get her for the rest of our lives, like mm-hmm. she is in our home, in our arms every night. And she is an Emma. I mean, just seeing her, we were like, why did we never consider that name? It's beautiful. And um, yeah, we stayed at the hospital for two days. They told us that there were two more, you know, TPR, and there's a certain period of time till it goes 
through. And so we just opted to stay at the hospital. We didn't want our sons to meet her until we knew that she was going to stay in our family. And so they gave us a room. It was amazing. They gave us a huge maternity room and we just stayed there. And then we waited, staring at the clock at the time, thought that the agency director would call because she said, I'm meeting with the birth parents because they have to like sign a second time. I had never heard that. I thought that was really interesting. So it was like the 72 hours goes and they sign again or something. So we end up actually getting a text from birth dad about 30 minutes after the time hit. It was 8 p.m. And he said, so it was 8.30. And he said, signed, sealed, and delivered. Congratulations, Aubrey and Eric. Ah, that is so great. Well, that is a good end to the story. And I'm looking at your picture, though. You have more than three kids. We do have more than three kids. We actually were pregnant all the while when we went to get her. And we were told that baby AJ would not make it. Um, we were told that my thyroid, after an issue that I developed after having my son, which I didn't realize would affect why I had miscar- why I had that miscarriage, um, that uh, yet again, we were told that was going to happen again, and I could not carry. And they were, we were all astounded just weeks after bringing Emma home that this baby was actually doing well. And we ended up having AJ um, April 5th, 2021. And Emma's finalization day was April 6, 2021. And they Aww. actually had to bring her into the hospital. My dad is clergy, so he snuck her in. <laughs> and they did a Zoom finalization in the hospital room with Emma. Uh, it, was, it was crazy. He came a little early, which has never happened with, with my other son. And uh, so, yeah, we have four kids. And God's story is definitely better than that ours. That is awesome. I love the end of that. Whew, that was a, <laughs> a mountain you had to climb. But that is amazing. And I love the name AJ, Emma and AJ. It's mm-hmm. so cute. Aubrey, yeah. thank you so much for coming and having this conversation, this really, really important, vulnerable story that you told and going through all the emotions and the truth of what it takes sometimes to grow a family. And I know a lot of people will connect to that. You do have a story that you wanted to share. How do people find the story? Oh, they can find that on my Instagram. I can put the link in my bio again. Um, That's just our story of our adoption. And then you can follow me on Instagram. I have great pictures. And my sister came up with a hashtag, Adventures of Emma and AJ, because what we have learned is called virtual twins. So two kids in the same family under a year apart that are not biologically related. So they are our virtual tr- twins. They're six months apart. And it's, it's really fun if you want to follow me on there. And I'd love to connect with you. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Aubrey. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. And thank you for listening. If you have an adoption story you'd like to share, please email us at afallon at adoptionnowpodcast.com. We would love for you to subscribe to our weekly podcast and follow us on social media. Thanks for joining us on your adoption show. See you next episode.